I don't know if we could have a better morning. And how many would agree, if you've been at maybe some of our art conferences, this might be one of the most impactful mornings we have ever had in these many years. One thing I, I will say, I had the privilege of just riding around one day with uh, Carl. We were looking for coffee in Austin, and he wanted some kind of coffee that was filtered through mon monkey droppings, and so we were able to find that. And um, he looked at me and he said, Joe, he goes, I got to get this right. I want to get this right. And one thing I appreciate about it, Carl, is that uh, his whole heart has been, of course, about the lost and about the church, but he wants to get it right. And he wants to make sure that he is surrounded as he has surrounded himself with, with amazing men. I will just tell you, Carl, I want to thank you for your testimony and, and for your desire to get it right for the next generation. One more time. Can we thank God for that amazing testimony? Well. Pastor Dino said that you always want a brother that has seven figures. Well, the next brother that is about to bring the word to us wrote a book called I Am Eight. So we got somebody better than seven. And I don't know if there's a, a, a voice that can speak in so many different ways in so many different directions as our next speaker, John Gray. And of course, he's a comedian, he's a playwright. He's an author. He's the associate pastor at Lakewood. He is now the senior pastor at Relentless Church in Greenville, South Carolina. And, uh, you know, Carl said it. There's, there's the Hodges world of systems. There is the Morris world of tithing. But then there's the John Gray world. Why don't we stand on our feet and let's give it up for the man, Pastor. John Gray. How you guys doing this afternoon? This has been quite the uh, morning session. And then they put me on right before lunch, so everybody's ready to eat. And you don't get a body like this by fasting. So I am, <laughs> I am with you. Um, let me pray for you and then uh, let's get into this word. Lord Jesus, thank you for this opportunity. And I pray that you will allow us to be closer to you when this moment is over than we were when it first began. I thank you for the association of related churches and everybody who was represented and gathered here because of what you declared in Matthew 16, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And thank you for allowing us to be a part of it. We love you and we give you honor. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. Can somebody give God about 18 seconds of praise? 15, 14, 13, 12, 11, 10, 9, 8, Four, three, two, one. Hallelujah. What an honor. You can be seated. It is uh, amazing to be here. It's been a heavy morning, and uh, so I'm your last Black History Month lesson. <laughs> Woo. Pastor Miles has... Um, has spoken something so profound
that the body of Christ cannot be the same once they hear it. And I want to celebrate him. I don't know if he's in this room. There he is. I couldn't see you because you light skin. You blend in with the chair. <laughs> Stop, John. <laughs> what you said today was one of the most necessary, relevant messages I have ever heard in my life. And I'm not going to walk past it like it wasn't amazing. It was amazing. The way you shared it was amazing. The way you presented it was honoring. And you allowed all of us to respond to the heart of Jesus in a way that is necessary for the healing of this nation and the nations. This word changes things. Thank you. Thank you. I love it. And as soon as you got finished, Pastor Greg got up and was like, people of color. I was like, mm. Stop, John. He didn't. Uh, but anyway, it was so funny because <laughs> we, are, we are as diverse and we are as different as the chairs you're sitting in. And every single person comes from a different place. But the one thing we all have in common is this one man. This Middle Eastern Jewish rabbi, son of a carpenter, this man who was the fulfillment of prophecy. He was whispered about in Deuteronomy 18 all the way through the Old Testament, through the minor Old Testament prophets, the major prophets, the wisdom literature whispered about and then suddenly arrives in Luke chapter 2, angels shouting him out to shepherds in a field and he is Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Christ and he is the one thing that all of us have in common. He is the propitiation, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets and our sin. He's paid for it all. And so we have something that is so unique in that a Jewish rabbi has caused a black American man and white American you and Native American you and Hispanic you and whoever else you are, all of us lay down culture to pick up the kingdom. And this is the power of God. And so I have been preaching roughly two minutes out of my time, and I'm already in full sweat. I am fat. This makes no sense. I was trying to wear my suit jacket, Pastor Chris. That would be a ball gown on you. It's been heavy in here all morning. It's time to get some joy in here. And I need to speak some life to some pastors and some church planners. Because if you knew what you were signing up for, you would have ran the other way. But you were all excited like, yes, Lord, I'll do whatever you say. And I love you. And you're amazing. Just I'll serve you. I don't even care. I don't have any money or anything. Three months later, like, this is stupid. I don't even know why I listened to you. I should have stayed in corporate. <laughs> we got no benefits. Living on thieves. Whatever. <laughs> Come on back. Sit down. I'm preaching. We told you 20 minutes. Sit down. Excuse me. 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 Y'all better get in here. 
We are here because we believe. We believe in something that is profound and it makes no sense. And for many of us, it is high time that we stop apologizing for the faith by which we choose to live our lives. Faith is the lens and the foundation for who we are. And for too long, the church has been apologizing for what we are supposed to be. We are not normal, we are supernatural, and therefore we should not apologize for the supernatural touch of God because all of the things that are happening in this nation and abroad, they cannot be legislated. It will not happen at the executive, judicial, or congressional branches because you cannot legislate morality. You cannot legislate a move of the heart. You need the Holy Ghost to show up and begin to pour out his spirit. And the way God has chosen to do that is through the local church. And so I'm not here to teach. I'm here to preach and encourage you that the devil hates your guts because every single morning you wake up, he knows that there is a church plant somewhere that's fighting for souls. And this is the power of God that you you, in all of your imperfection, are exactly who God wanted, and you are exactly where you are supposed to be. So let me give you a big, fat hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for being planted and serving and meeting the needs of the local church. God bless every person in this room, in the chapel, and wherever else people are gathered. Sorry that I'm yelling. I get excited. <laughs> Go to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. <laughs> I am diversity. I'm big and I'm little. Um, <laughs> built like an upside down pyramid. Just pray for me. The only place I really care about diversity at ARC is in the green room because they keep having celery and hummus and all kinds of like grain bars and like gluten free. I don't even know what gluten is. I was fine with it until y'all told me I didn't need to have it. I've been living with gluten, so don't start giving me gluten free. I buy in that gluten free spirit. I need bacon, sausage, catfish. Chicken wings, Mountain Dew, which is a biblical meal. You will mount up on wings as an eagle. That's Bible. I'm trying to help your church. <laughs> the calling of the local church is to be like Jesus. But what does Jesus look like? That is the fundamental question that you must answer for the calling that is in front of you. What does Jesus look like? Oftentimes, Jesus is filtered through the lens of our personal experience. And how you are introduced to Jesus is how you reintroduce Jesus to others. So if you were introduced to Jesus through shame, guilt, and manipulation, then you will offer Jesus through shame, guilt, and manipulation. You need to come to Jesus. Look at you, just a mess. Mm, mm, mm. Get to the altar. You know, your mama was, you know, your mama, she was nasty too. Mm -hmm. 
Your daddy wasn't no good. Come on down here. Get saved. Maybe. You need to pray. Maybe the Lord will save you. Shame, guilt, and manipulation are never tactics that are used by Jesus to win souls. And so shame, guilt, and manipulation cannot be used to win a soul to Jesus because it does not reflect the character of Jesus. And the problem with some churches are we are presenting a picture of Jesus that is not biblically nor historically accurate. So we must present Jesus as he actually is, not as we think he is. Now, I'm preaching better than you're shouting, but it is the art conference, and I understand you're educated, and you're like, that's very, that's very magnanimous. That's very, it's very didactic. I must, that's a paradoxical conundrum. I had a lot of teaching. I'm going to preach. I'm preaching because that's what I'm supposed to do. I want to get the energy up in here. It's been too quiet. I'm sick of quiet. I need some, need some noise in here. There we go, sir. I'm frightened. <laughs> go to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. I'm reading from the New King James Version. 1 John chapter 4. This particular art conference has a much more meaning to me this year because for the years that I've come in the past, I was an associate pastor and I've served pastors faithfully for many years and I've honored every vision that I've been a part of. I never wanted my own church. I never hungered nor did I posture or position myself. I didn't work green rooms. I wasn't sliding CDs and DVDs to people. I was faithful. I served every vision the Lord ever gave me and then I got a call in October and the man that got on the other end, Pastor Ron Carpenter, said, God, put you on my heart three times. And I know that uh, you have a good, you know, situation in Houston, and you got your show on the Oprah Network, and you're doing well. But the Lord wanted me to ask you if you'd be willing to succeed me as pastor. And I immediately said yes. And the reason why is because the night before I said, God's about to do something in 24 hours that will defy human understanding and it's going to catapult you into your destiny. And I prophesied it. And before the 24 hours was up, I got that call. And so if the house is on fire and the door is open, you don't pray for an exit. I feel like preaching before lunch. And the reason why I said yes is because I want to be like Jesus. And the title of my message is Just Like Jesus. Just Like Jesus. 1 John chapter 4, starting at the 12th verse. Shout out to Pastor Carlins and his tiny pants. And <laughs> I'm just jealous because I would split them if it were me. Um, amazing session, amazing panel, just an amazing morning. Scripture says this, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God lives or abides in us, and his love has been perfected or made complete in us. By this we know that we live or abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Are we clear that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world? 
I just want to make sure, because this is a church planting gathering, and I want to make sure we understand that Jesus is the head of the church. There's been a little bit of conjecture here lately from some newfangled folk, and we're trying to do different things, and 14 steps to a happier life, and 33 steps to a better church, but there's one step to salvation, and it's through Jesus Christ. And I need to make sure that everybody in here is aware, and we are clear that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He is the object of our affection. He is the central focus of our worship. Jesus Christ needs to be put back in the place that the Father positioned him in, and we don't need to try to diminish him or make Jesus less than what he is. I just want to make it real clear to everybody watching that we believe in Jesus. We will not compromise our Jesus. We don't apologize for Jesus. If you don't like Jesus, may he bless you, but I'm not going to stop talking about Jesus. I will not shut up about Jesus. I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation. Is there anybody else that believes Jesus is Lord? Seventeenth verse, love has been perfected or made complete among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment. I know that we have many theologians in the room, but I want to freeze right here. We have boldness on the day of judgment because judgment is not for believers. Judgment day is not for believers. When you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. Are we clear on that? So on the day of judgment, the Bible says we have boldness. Why? Because as he is, so are we in this world, just like Jesus. Tell somebody, I'm just like him. Tell your second option, I'm just like him. I have boldness on the day of judgment because... I'm standing not in my own works, not in my own ability. I'm standing in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So when the Father sees me, he sees the blood of the Son, the finished work of the Son, the function and the inner workings of the Holy Spirit that was given to me on the day of my salvation as a deposit until the day of redemption. I am not who you think I am. I get to function in the earth as Jesus. But what does that look like? Because if I'm just like Jesus and you're just like Jesus and we see each other through the context of color, then we're missing the point because Jesus wasn't a black man from Cincinnati any more than he was a white man from Texas or from Alabama or a white woman. And so we don't get to appropriate our culture onto the, the holiness of Jesus. We must lay down culture and pick up the original heart of Jesus. I know it gets quiet when I say things like that, but I'm saying that because it makes us all equal. There's only one color that matters. It's red. As long as his blood was red, then we are saved and we are all the same. That's what makes us family. The same blood that saved you saved me. Just like Jesus. For the local church, your job is now very difficult because we exist in a time of moral relativism and secular humanism where faith is a dinosaur and they make fun of us because we sing songs and we do things and we believe in, in strange types of stuff like prayer and fasting and holiness 
and integrity. And we believe in weird things like fidelity and integrity and character and fighting for our marriages. We believe in weird things like prayer and them being answered and miracles, signs and wonders because that's what he said in Mark 16, crazy us, that we actually believe the Bible. I know it's weird and we don't want to be weird because nobody wants to be weird. Nobody wants to be the weird, creepy Christian in the room where people are like, you go to church? Yes. (laughs) Yes, I do. I love him. Because he first loved me. (laughs) Don't be that guy. (laughs) I love him. (laughs) Would you like to go for some coffee? No, no. (laughs) And I ain't going to Starbucks. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Stop. Too soon. Stop. too much anyway. Um, (laughs) We are the church and we are to look like Jesus to our respective communities. And what does that look like? Because the church has been too exclusive for the broken to attend. Too many churches have a velvet rope mentality. There is no velvet rope, but there is a scarlet thread. Ah. How do we promote and declare the scarlet thread and cut the velvet rope so the broken can come in and experience the healing power of a risen Savior who will meet them at the point of their need? How do we become just like Jesus in a cynical, God-hating culture? How do we unapologetically declare the love of Jesus? How do we preach? We gotta preach better. We gotta be more effective communicators. The best sermon is the life you live. The idea of churches, here's the thing, if we're going to be like Jesus, churches have members, but Jesus had disciples. I'm a member of such and such. Yeah, you could be a member of a golf club if you pay enough. But Jesus was not interested in membership. He was interested in discipleship. A full-throated 365 day a year, 24 hour a day, seven day a week commitment to engaging, learning, listening, being filled by the Holy Spirit, pruned by the Spirit, looking more like Jesus. The picture and the excellence of Jesus is here. I put my life next to it until my life looks like the pattern in front of me. Holy Spirit, continue to prune, continue to cut until I look like the Savior, until I function like Jesus, until I engage culture like Jesus. Jesus needs to be seen in proper context. We've got to get out of this idea that Jesus just belongs to my myopic view of culture. We got to see Jesus in the proper context. He wanted disciples Discipleship involves daily time spent allowing, and Jesus allowed the disciples to observe him every single day. They got his mannerisms. They got his heart. And this is the power to me of Jesus, that he wasn't building a kingdom to himself. He took these 12 men, one of which he knew was a devil, 
was filled with the devil, still gave him an opportunity to change, covered him, and when he showed up, he said, kiss me right here, and you're still my friend. Because even though you're betraying me, it's just getting me closer to my purpose, and anybody that pushes me to purpose is still my friend. But Jesus actually prepared the church for his absence. And that's the power of Jesus. He wasn't trying to build something where people could celebrate him. They wanted the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the children of Israel. They wanted a political leader that would free them from Roman rule. Finally, somebody that's going to represent us. We've been oppressed too long. We was down. We were under the Egyptians, then the Babylonians, and then the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Hivites and all of them keep messing with us. This is the NIV version, by the way. I just switched. Negro International version. And so <laughs> stay with me. I'm tired. We need a savior. We need the Mashiach going to free us. And Jesus shows up humble, no house, humble, preaching, teaching, touching broken things without hand sanitizer. <laughs> it's time for the church to stop putting on spiritual hand sanitizer. <laughs> Choosing which broken people we want to pull close, which sins we want to accept which ones we have grace for because the blood is for everybody and for everything and whether you know it or not, everything you don't like is already in your church. You just don't know it yet. And if you look closely, some of it's in us. I'm not gonna get invited back. <laughs> Jesus had disciples. Are we discipling people? Critical, Pastor Chris. Nobody does systems like this man of God. Are we literally quantifiably pushing people into a real, authentic relationship with Jesus Christ? And if so, what are the metrics for their spiritual growth and development? Not just we felt good and we shouted really well, but what can we Look at and see the fruit that they are growing and looking more like Jesus. And I heard there was a preacher in the house yesterday that talked about our worship pointing to Jesus. Oh, I wish I had been here for that because a lot of folk getting too cool for school now. And everybody's team tiny pants and, you know, you know, baby shirts. And they're singing all of these songs. But we need to get back to that blood. We need to get back to Jesus Christ. We need to keep lifting him up. If it don't point to Jesus, we don't need to sing it. If it doesn't lift up Jesus, we don't need to say it. We don't need to keep trying to act like the world. We need the world to come see what's going on in here. Five-second praise break right there. Glory! If we are going to be like Jesus, we must address Jesus in three ways. Write these down if you are so inclined. You got to address Jesus in context. Jesus in content, and Jesus in contact. If we're going to be just like Jesus, if we're going to be pastors and church planners and leaders that point people to Jesus, then we must study and identify the habits, the patterns, the heart, the mannerisms, the communication style, the purpose, the function of Jesus in context, content, and contact. 
Number one is context. Context is where was he sent, when was he sent, why was he sent, and to whom was he sent? He was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This is what scripture says, which means all of us were grafted into the promise through faith, hallelujah, thankfully, because Abraham, it was a credit to, to him as righteousness when he believed God. So we get to believe God. We're grafted in. The promise was not originally for us, but we must understand Jesus from his original purpose. I am here to speak to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Why is that important? Because you can't Americanize his original intent. We must make him global. That's why there are people in China who are singing worship songs to Jesus and there are people in the hood singing worship songs to Jesus and God receives it all because he is not culturally specific. <laughs> Hallelujah. I would love to hear somebody in China singing a worship song from the black church. Okay, anyway. It would be awesome. <laughs> Jesus was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and his purpose was to save souls. Everybody say save souls. save souls. I know we want everybody to have a better life, and there are some people that want everybody to have a mansion and nice cars and 850 credit. <laughs> it's not happening. Not because we don't want it to happen, but that is actually secondary, maybe even tertiary to the primary goal, which is to save your soul from the flames of hell. It's real quiet. They don't want to talk because the church is not here to play games. Jesus said there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Nobody wants to talk about it anymore. That's what Jesus came here for. The context. And after context, because content. Jesus in content. What was Jesus saying? When he came up out of the wilderness after being tempted by the devil, what, is, what are the first words of Jesus? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I'm going to say it again just in case some of y'all didn't know. The first thing he said was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is... Repent means to what? Turn, turn, repent. He came preaching a gospel of repentance, Turn from what? Sin. No one says sin anymore. Everybody's afraid of sin because it's not seeker sensitive. Are you kidding me? Somebody needs to tell the truth out here and stop worrying about trying to be popular. That's the problem with the church now. I'm not here to be popular. I'm here to be relevant and I'm here to be obedient. And if I'm not saying what Jesus said, then I'm not doing what he died for. And a one, two, three, four, five, okay. And everybody's worried about best practices and programs and policies and procedures, but you can have best practices, policies, and procedures and have no presence. Because you can do all of that, but if you're not preaching the gospel, the Holy Spirit's not coming. The content of Jesus' message was you can be saved from your sins. And the church has been scared of that word sin because we don't want to seem like we're judging anyone. Telling the truth is not judgment. Telling the truth is telling the truth. Judgment belongs to God. The preaching belongs to us. The change belongs to the Holy Ghost. I feel God in here. And I got 10 minutes and I'm going to use all of them. 
I'm going to say it one more time for the nice people over in the wedding chapel that we need to preach an uncompromising gospel that lets the world know we are in a fallen state. It wasn't your fault. You got it from your forefather, Adam and Eve. The sin was in your blood, but there is a full payment for your sin, and all you got to do is confess it. We need to get back to the good old-fashioned gospel. Stop trying to be too cool for school. We want to talk about issues, and Jesus will he'll save you from your issues. No, he won't. He'll save you from your sins. I can get counseling for my issues, but you can't counsel a demon. You can't counsel cancer. You got to cancel cancer with the blood of Jesus. I wish I had some help in here. We need the Holy Ghost back in the church. We need somebody talking about the blood that covers, heals, saves, forgives, delivers the blood. Ain't nobody on the organ. But I shout by myself, somebody talk about the blood. Yes! club Jesus not safe Jesus but the real Jesus when a leper walked up he said if you're willing you can make me clean Jesus touched him first and then said 
I am willing. Be cleansed. That's where the church needs to be. Don't wait for them to get clean and then take credit. Touch them. Walk with them. Tell them it's all right. And then watch the Holy Ghost do the work. I need some help in here. about a Jesus who had lunch with the Pharisees and a prostitute walked in. They said nothing to each other, but he healed her, saved her, and delivered her. In that lunch, Jesus, who could talk to demon-possessed people until they were sitting, clothed, and in their right mind. Jesus took one conversation with a woman at the well, broken woman, five husbands, living with a man. And before the conversation was over, she had turned into an evangelist in one conversation. Jesus, because when he touches you, everything changes. When religion touches you, nothing changes but the rules. But when Jesus touches you, everything changes. Your mind changes. Your mouth changes, your appetite changes, your heart changes, your walk changes. I'm nervous. I see four white people over there with coffee in their hands. I don't know if it's the band or they coming to get me. I heard you were talking about Starbucks. Come on out of here, sir. John Seedling, people think you can't be relevant and biblical. That's why God has Brian Houston talking tonight. Because no culture is more relevant, but no culture is more biblical. Every time I go, somebody's talking about Jesus. And it blesses me that they won't stop talking about Jesus. All that popularity, all of their music always points to Jesus. And if it ain't about Jesus, it doesn't make the record. Somebody say, just like Jesus. I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to be late for lunch. They got three minutes on the white people clock. You don't give a black man 40 minutes, that's like giving a whale a tic-tac. I'm gonna preach for a little while. Cause we need to wake up in here. We need to know the devil didn't want to see us wake up. He wanted us to walk out like that was really good. I'm really enjoying this. By golly gee, now we walking out with some power, with some authority, with a fire in the eyes. Because the Holy Ghost, Jesus in context, Jesus in content, and Jesus in contact. How he touched and engaged broken people. The woman who was caught in the act of adultery. I love Jesus. They threw her down in the dirt. Because that's what religion does, Sean. Throws you down. 
and tries to hold you hostage to the worst thing you ever did. We caught her in the act. So y'all struggling with pornography because y'all was watching. We're not going to talk about that. Okay, y'all caught her in the act. Threw her in the dirt. Jesus says nothing. He stoops down to write. Oh, so many sermons trying to find out what Jesus could have written. I think I know, and I'm about to finish when I finish with this. But he began to write. And then he looks up and says, whichever one of y'all is without this sin or worse, y'all hit her with the first stone. Then he stoops down, the Bible says, to write again. I love it because no matter what's been written about you, Jesus comes with the rewrite. Is there anybody glad that Jesus comes with a rewrite? Oh, you need to shout. Because if you're going to be just like Jesus, when broken souls come in, we get to rewrite their story. Because as he is, so are we in this world. I happen to believe that what he was writing was who she was at her beginning. And then he wrote who she would be at the end. Because the only one there authorized to declare it was Jesus. Because he's the author and finisher. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And if we're just like Jesus, we're called to walk with people in the middle. He rewrites stories. He opens blinded eyes. John chapter 9, the man was born blind. People say, oh, what a shame. We were all born blind. That's why we see each other through broken, disfigured lenses called race, class, ethnicity. Is that you, Jesus? That's them saying time is up. And so I say this. <laughs> <laughs> Bring the volume down. I get it. <laughs> Pastor Miles, he was born blind. Stovall, Pastor Stovall, he was born blind. Jesus took dust from the ground, spit in it. Jesus, that's unsanitary. Why would you spit in the dust? because we were created from dust. His saliva is living water. He made clay, put it on the thing that had come out wrong and recreated it. Because Jesus can recreate vision where there was no vision. He can recreate where it had once been fractured. And that is the call of the local church to stand in the gap and tell broken people, it doesn't end right here. You are not your worst moment. You are not the last thing. You are who Jesus says you are. And we are called to function just like Jesus. So be Jesus in culture, Jesus in community, and Jesus in crisis. No matter where we go, let's be Jesus to culture. Be unashamed of the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. He saved you. Act like it. 
Tell somebody. Tell these people when you go to lunch, I'm grateful for this sandwich, but I'm more grateful for Jesus. Then we need to be Jesus, Pastor Herbert, in community. Because they will know that they are Christians by our love for one another. The community of the believers, not just your safe church van full of leaders, but everybody in this room is family. Then we must be Jesus in crisis. In Houston, we had one of the worst disasters in the history of this nation. But if I had a boat, when people were in the floodwaters, I wasn't going to stop and say, hey, you saved? I see you drowning. Are you saved? You ain't filled with the Holy Ghost? I don't get to determine who I help. If they're in trouble, get in the boat. If you're black, get in the boat. If you're white, get in the boat. If you're Hispanic, get in the boat. Sexual orientation, don't let get in the boat. Rich, poor, get in the boat. If you're in trouble, get in the boat. That's what the church is called to be. Church is called to be Jesus in culture, Jesus in community, and Jesus in crisis. Somebody begin to bless him right there. Lift up a sound. end with this. Come get this, Brandon. Pastor, somebody. Thank you. Pastor Chris, somebody asked me, why are you going to Greenville? You're in Houston. It's the fourth largest city in America. You're at the largest single venue church in the history of this nation. You got it good. Why would you leave? Why would you go to a small town? And my answer was, this ain't Chick-fil-A. You don't get to franchise and go where you want. I go where I'm sent. I do what he tells me because I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day for the night is coming when no man can work. And whether you call me to Houston or Greenville or wherever you're from, you gotta be faithful and obedient because obedience brings the audience and wherever you are, may the Holy Ghost fill you meet you with miracles, signs, and wonders, and may it be said of you and your church that they are just like Jesus.